If I'm a little hoarse this morning, it's not because I have preached hard, but because I have praised hard this morning. Man, Jesus is so good. King Jesus is the one worthy of our worship. Hey, listen, we're going to continue to worship together. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to John chapter number five, the gospel of John chapter number five. For the last several weeks, we've been in a series titled Come and See, and we are exploring the gospel of John, embracing the invitation of Jesus to come and see, explore who he is, and see what that means for our lives today. So John chapter number five. Listen, as you're turning there, I wanted to ask you if you've ever heard about the time that Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson went on a camping trip. Anybody heard about their camping trip before? Well, even if you have, you're going to hear about it again. Uh, I, I read this week that after sharing a good meal around the fire, Holmes and Watson decided to retire to their tent for the evening. It was about 3 a.m. in the morning when Holmes nudged Watson and asked him this question. He said, Watson, look up into the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson said, I see millions of stars. And Holmes asked, and what does that tell you, Watson? Watson replies, well, based on astronomy, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Based on astrology, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. Based on theology, it tells me that God is great and we are small and insignificant. Based on horology, it tells me that it's about 3 a.m. in the morning. And based on meteorology, it tells me that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes responds, someone stole our tent. I read that story and I thought to myself, how often do we take something as simple as faith in Jesus that leads to following Jesus? How often do we take something that simple and make it something else? How often do we take something and overcomplicate it to the point that most people don't even know who we are and what we believe? Why do we focus on so many other things when Jesus makes it so clear what we should be focused on? Listen, as we begin John chapter 5, we encounter a man who is looking for healing. And through this encounter, there are plenty of things that we can look at. We can talk about where Jesus was and why he was there. We can talk about where he's going. We can talk about healing in the New Testament versus healing uh, today. We can talk about what it looks like to be saved when Jesus was on the earth versus what it looks like to be saved now. Listen, there are all kinds of theological implications that come out of John chapter 5. However, I'm sorry to break in uh, 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 the bad news, but we're not going to talk about any of those. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how this particular encounter applies to us today and some very simple truths, some very simple focuses that we see Jesus has that we should also be looking at today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the simplicity of Jesus's ministry and what he wants from each of us. Jesus in this moment begins to shift our focus from our standards to our Savior, and I want you to see how that focus takes place. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 5, because there's a lot of verses, we're just going to start journeying through them together this morning. John chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 1. Let me show you first of all what we learn about Jesus. Jesus recognizes those who are sick. Very simple, right? Jesus recognizes those who are sick. Look at verse 1. 
After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, what is after this? Well, at some uh, point in time, after Jesus was doing ministry in Galilee, as we read last week, he healed an official son. We don't know the exact time frame, but at some point, he went from the northern area of ancient Palestine and Galilee, and he traveled down south to the ancient area of Palestine known as Judea. You see, in Galilee, that's where we find Cana. That's where we find Capernaum. That's where we find Jesus' ministry before this moment. But as you follow Jesus, he heads down toward the south, even though it says he went up to Jerusalem. He's talking about reverence, not geographical location. He's going to the city of God, and as he is traveling there, he will encounter a particular guy when he enters the city of Jerusalem. Now, we don't know exactly what feast he is going to, but really it's not that important. What's most important is not what Jesus is going there for as far as the feast or even the location that is Jerusalem. What What's most important is what Jesus is going to do while he's there. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, what I find fascinating is that, first of all, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, we don't hear about the temple. We don't hear about moments of training with his disciples. We don't hear about discussions with other rabbis or religious leaders. As a matter of fact, there would be no rabbis or religious leaders anywhere near the place where we find Jesus. We find him where multitudes of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, we find him by a pool that is inhabited by the broken. You say, Danny, why do we find Jesus there? Well, let me just tell you something. Anytime you want to look for Jesus in the Gospels, let me tell you the first place to start. You find broken people and you will find Jesus. Why? Because he didn't come to those who are well. He came for those who are sick. He is the great physician who is about to change the lives of millions. Where do we find him? We find him with these multitudes of invalids. Why? Because Jesus recognizes those who are sick. Well, where is he? He's in a place called Bethesda. Now, some of your Bibles may say Bethsaida. Uh, there are different manuscripts that have different names, but it's talking about the same location. What's interesting is what word Bethesda means. It's translated in a couple of different ways. One of those is house of outpouring. Can you imagine in this moment what Jesus is about to outpour on the people who are around? What a very fitting name. It's also been translated as the house of grace or the house of mercy. All these people are there looking to this pool to find grace and mercy that, by the way, they will never find in a pool. But what they don't realize is that Jesus has come to Bethesda and that will make it the house of outpouring. That will make it the house of grace. That will make it the house of mercy. Because when Jesus shows up, he changes everything. Amen. Now, some manuscripts include an additional verse between verses three and five. You would just know that as verse four, but I say it that way because if you look in your Bible, you may not have a verse four. You may just skip from verse three to verse five. That's what my translation of scripture looks like. Well, you say, Danny, why is there no verse four? Well, because most hold that verse four was actually a note from a scribe, not inspired scripture. But here's what verse four reads. Jesus 
goes to this pool that has all of these uh, invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And here's what it says. Waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. That's the note that's given to us. And you say, Danny, why is it not in there? Why is it in there? Well, you can argue over uh, the, the scriptural text and whether or not it should be in there, but we do know that later in verse 7, this particular man mentions this same superstition. So it's okay to think about it in there or not in there. It just helps us with the context of what's happening. Now, here's what we also know. There wasn't an angel that stirred the waters. It was, in fact, just a superstition. You say, Danny, how do we know? Well, the pool was fed by large reservoirs called Solomon's Pools. But also, the pools were fed by an underground spring, which would cause the water to stir periodically. Now, they didn't know there was underground springs. They didn't have that type of technology. They thought it was a great mystery that an angel was coming down, and if you stepped in there, you would be healed. Now, listen, I don't know what happened when people actually stood in there. I don't know if people were really getting healed or if there was something else that was going on, but here's what I do know. Those pools did not have any magic power to heal people. Only Jesus could bring about healing. Now listen, Jesus wasn't checking out the pools. He wasn't inspecting what was going on with these superstitions. He was there because sick people were there. Once again, we find Jesus around people who are broken because that is who he came to. So one commentary writer puts it like this, the situation that we read about in John chapter five. Here it is. Jesus knew all about this place and all about the people who were around. He knew the popular legends attached to the pool. He knew every person there, all their hopes, frustrations, disappointments, all of their anticipation. That multitude represented humankind. There the sufferers lay, waiting, believing, despairing. There they were brought, there they were left, lying at the gates of a dead religion, so to speak, hoping against hope, bolstering, flagging beliefs, passed by priests and people alike, longing for some kind of miracle, perhaps fearful, lest their religion prove powerless to meet their greatest need. Here is a dire situation of hopeless people looking for healing in a pool that will never come. You say, Danny, why is this reflective of the world around us? Because how many people in our world today are looking to something to find their healing, are looking to something to bring satisfaction to their souls, are looking for something other than Jesus to try to find meaning and purpose and healing. Friends, listen to me. I don't care what pool you have out there. None of it compares to Jesus. Where do we find him? We find him around broken people in need of healing. Why? Because he recognizes those who are sick. Really, we could probably say he runs to those who are sick. We find him because in John chapter 5, verse 5, listen to it, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now listen, I don't know how old this guy was, but we do know that for 38 years he's been paralyzed. Now just to put that in perspective, as if it needs more perspective, the average life expectancy during Jesus's day was about 35 years. This man had been paralyzed longer than most people even lived. Now you say, Danny, how long had he been there? We don't know. Could he have been carried there as a boy and left there for years on his own? Possibly. 
Was he brought there every day by people who loved and cared for him? Possibly. Was he brought when the waters were only expected to stir, but not any other time? Possibly. We don't know. Here's what we do know. We do know that this is a place surrounded by people just like this man. Some have come, some have gone. Some have been healed, some have died. Yet this man had become a fixture with no hope of ever getting any better. This is all he knew, this is all he would ever know. Or so he thought. Until verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there. Isn't that a beautiful statement? How many of you remember the time when Jesus saw you laying there? How many of you remember the time when you were broken and hopeless and had no hope for healing and Jesus saw you right where you were? When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Jesus knew, friends. You say, Danny, how did he know? Did someone in the crowd inform him of this man's situation? I don't think so. Does Jesus remember the prayers that this man has voiced over these 38 years begging for healing? Probably. Danny, how did he know? Well, friend, listen, Jesus didn't need anyone to inform him about this man or anyone else in the area. Jesus recognizes, runs to those who are sick. Listen, the Bible's full of moments where Jesus knew what no one else could possibly know. Do you remember earlier in John when Jesus knew that Nathanael was sitting under the fig tree before uh, Philip ever went and told him about Jesus? Jesus knew exactly where Philip was. He knows exactly where you are. Do you remember earlier in John chapter 4 when Jesus knew everything about a woman at the well, even without her saying a word to him? Yeah, you remember that? He knows everything about you and me without us ever saying a word. You remember back in John chapter 2 when it says that Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to the people because he knew all that was in them? Jesus knew. He completely understood the pain, the seriousness, the length of this man's suffering. Friend, let me tell you something. Jesus knows. He knows what you came in here today. He knows what's burdening your heart. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what healing you need to take place. He knows if you don't know him and you're lost and on your way to hell unless you repent and turn to Jesus, he knows. You might fool everybody else in this room, but Jesus recognizes those who are sick. And friend, here's the good news. He doesn't just recognize it. He runs to those who are sick. Do you hear the question he presents this man with? Do you want to be healed? Friend, can I let you in on something? If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Can I tell you something? He's asking you the same question today. He's saying, friend, listen, I'm here. This is me. I have the power to do what nothing else in your life could ever do. Do you want to be healed? Now you say, Danny, did Jesus not know the answer to this question? Of course he knew the answer to this question. So why does he ask it? Well, most likely he asked it to get this man's attention. Most likely he asked it to get the disciples' attention. Most likely he asked it so he could get your attention today. Listen, Jesus might be walking into the mess that you call life right now, and he's asking you that question. Do you want to be healed? Listen, maybe you've been everywhere else. You've tried everything else, and nothing has changed. Do you want Jesus to do what nothing else can do? Do you want satisfaction, healing for your soul? What if, friends, what if this entire moment is less about this particular guy and more about a picture of the entire world around us? What if this is a picture of you and me without Jesus? We too were broken until Jesus came to us. You might be here this morning hoping 
like these broken people at this pool, that something will make you whole. Well, let me let you in on something. There is hope. His name is Jesus. Well, you say, Danny, you don't know about my past. Jesus doesn't ask this guy about his past. Well, Danny, you don't know what kind of things I've done. Well, listen, Jesus doesn't ask him about what caused this situation in his life. Can I tell you something? Your situation, his situation is trumped by a savior. Jesus will heal those who are sick. This man did nothing, could do nothing. This moment is all about what Jesus does. He recognizes, runs to those who are sick. Let me show you something else that we learned about the focus of Jesus. Jesus rescues those who are sincere. He rescues those who are sincere. Man, praise God, he recognizes, runs to those who are sick, but he never forces healing on anybody. He rescues those who are sincere, who want what he has to offer. Look at verse seven. The sick man answered him, sir, Lord, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another one steps down before me. You know what he's showing us? He's saying, Jesus, if I could, I would. Lord, sir, if I could be healed today, I would be healed. Listen, this man's been there a long time. He's seen plenty of people come and go. He's seen plenty of people get better, and he was never the one. His superstition is real. He thinks the pool can heal him. He, like all those present, were waiting for the waters to be stirred so that they could be healed. Obviously, he's skeptical that anything in his life would ever change, but it doesn't change the fact that he wants the healing. And you say, Danny, why would Jesus ask him this? Well, friend, let me tell you something. I hate this to be true, but it is. There are some people that those Jesus can heal them, that though Jesus wants to save them, that though Jesus died for their sins, they still choose to reject him. He has to issue the invitation and it has to be received by you. So if you're here today and you say, Danny, I'm one of those broken people. I'm one of those people who are in need of healing. Friends, Jesus wants to rescue you, but he will only do it if you will say yes to him. He will only do it for those who are sincere. This guy is. He's like, if I could do it, I would. But he can't. He's still putting an emphasis on what he can do. Now listen, he can't get there. I have no one to put me into the pool. He thinks that maybe it's someone else or him or whatever that can do it. In fact, in their day, sickness was usually the result of sin. It's likely that he thought that because he got himself into this mess, he would have to get himself out. What a picture of our lives so often, by the way, right? How often do I try so hard to fix the problems that I cannot possibly fix? I wonder right now, how many times will Jesus have to show you that he alone can heal the brokenness of your life? How many times will he have to issue an invitation? How many times will he call you out of your darkness for you to reject the light that he wants you to live in? How often will you put hope in something else rather than Jesus? I think John's recording this moment not just because of a physical healing, which by the way, if you need physical healing, continue to pray. Ask God to heal you. Whether he does or not, that's between you and him and his plan for your life. I don't have the answers to that. But here's what I do have the answers for. I think this is a picture of something much bigger than just physical healing that by the way, probably all of us need in some way, shape, or form. I think he's given us a picture of spiritual healing. Our physical ailments may be different from one another, but all of us have the same spiritual ailment. We are dead and need to be brought back to life. Friends, I don't know if you know this, but there aren't a lot of things that can do that. Matter of fact, there's only one, 
His name is Jesus. When will you accept his invitation to receive new life? Also, I thought, how many times will it take for us to realize that our healing, our faith in Jesus is not about what I can do, but about what Jesus can do? Though I've experienced healing, I still go back and try to fix problems my own way, even though he's shown me that though I can't, he can. Though he's been faithful over and over and over, when will I finally trust in him? Jesus had a better plan for healing than this man's faulty belief in a magical pool. And when we think there's any other way to be healed other than Jesus, or there's any other way to deal with our sinfulness or our problem other than Jesus at work in us, we too need correction. Friend, listen to me. No amount of effort on your part, no amount of church services, amount of money given, mission projects that you served on, there's nothing you or anyone else can do to find healing for your soul. It's simply the work of Jesus by grace through faith. Will you trust in Jesus's healing? Now watch this, verse 8, look at it. Jesus, knowing the sincerity of this man's heart, says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, bow, right? Immediately, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus doesn't take this moment to fix this man's poor theology, though he has it. He doesn't lecture him on what is actually happening to the waters and that there's no angel that's actually going to heal him. Brokenness doesn't need more correction. It needs more compassion. So Jesus simply commands the sickness to leave by telling the man to pick up his bed and walk away. How crazy must this be for this guy in this moment? He's been lame for 38 years. He couldn't even get to the place where he was laying at this moment without someone or some group of people carrying him to that place. This guy's never met Jesus. He knows nothing about Jesus. He's telling him to do something that he's not been able to do for 38 years. Wouldn't you think there would be an objection? Wouldn't you think there would be some doubt? But there doesn't seem to be any. Here's what we know. The man gets up, takes his mat, and he walks away. He feels immediately the power of Jesus in his life. Can I tell you something? I remember the day when I gave my life to Jesus. I suspect it felt the same way. I didn't have physical healing because I was lame, but I had a burden on my back that weighed me down like nothing else, and it was the sinfulness of my own life. And when Jesus stepped in and filled me with the power of the Holy Spirit, he lifted a weight that I could not lift. It was incredible what happened. The man's body, the man's sickness responds to the authority of Jesus. Can I remind you of something? In all of the world, there's only one thing that disobeys the commands of Jesus. You know what it is? It's you and me. Even sickness obeys his commands. The moment we say yes to Jesus, he will heal our broken bodies. Jesus asked us today, do you want to be healed? Now listen, I don't know what kind of commotion that must have been created in this moment. John doesn't let us in on the celebration that took place when this man who hasn't been able to move in 38 years is now able to take up his mat and walk away. However, I think it's safe for us to assume that this was a sight to behold. In fact, the word walk that Jesus tells this man to do really means to walk about. You know what it's a picture of? It's a picture of a man strutting around with his newfound healing. Look what my legs can do. As a matter of fact, I was going to get a, a, a participant this morning to show us what that strut might look like. I'm totally kidding. I would never do that to any of you, although some of you did pop in my mind. 
Listen, I don't know what's happening in this moment, but here's what I do know. There's nothing wrong with bragging about what Jesus does in our brokenness. If there's ever been a time to strut around, it's in this moment. What a beautiful picture we see. Jesus recognizing, running to those who are sick, rescuing those who are sincere. But can I point something out? The celebration doesn't last long. You want to know why? Because Jesus shows us something else, and it's this. Jesus resists those who are stubborn. You say, Danny, how could sickness being healed? How could rescuing for those who are sincere, how could this not be the most joyous occasion on the face of the planet? Well, I'll tell you why, because there are always stubborn people present. And can I tell you something before you start thinking about who that is? You know who Jesus showed me was the stubborn person this week? It's me. I'm the one who oftentimes looks at what Jesus is doing in a different way than what he wants to show me. Look at verse 9. We've got to hurry up, but look at it. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. Now check out this last little part in verse 9. Now that day was the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. So the Jews, probably better translated religious leaders, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now listen, I want to give you a picture of what this looks like because I don't think we'd ever do it. At least we don't think we would. But I want to give you a picture of it. You ready? Imagine this morning. You have turned the clocks back, you get an extra beautiful hour of sleep, and your neighbor that you've known since you were a kid, who for the past 30 years has had some kind of accident that's left him paralyzed from the neck down, is up this morning at 5 a.m. cutting his grass and making all kinds of racket out in the yard next to you. Now, your typical response, or at least mine is, so if you're ever my neighbor, let's just go ahead and break the ground now, you do not mow grass at 5 o'clock in the morning. What's wrong with you, okay? I don't care if you're Jeffrey Phillips and you cut your grass every three hours. You are not cutting grass. That's so wrong. Sorry. (laughs) Don't cut grass if you're my neighbor at 5 a.m. But listen, you know what probably doesn't happen on that day? You probably don't walk out your front door and start screaming at your neighbor for cutting his grass at 5 a.m. You know what probably happens? You see your neighbor that hadn't been able to move in the last 30 years, and you go, what has happened, man? You can now do what you couldn't do for the past 30 years. You go, wow, where did this come from? What changed? How did this happen? You instantly go to the miracle, but that's not what they do. No, it's not that this guy who hasn't been able to move for the past 38 years is now walking into the temple to worship at the feast of the Jews that he hasn't been able to do for a very long time. He may even be going to present himself to the priest to be cleared as clean so that he can re-enter society, whatever that looks like. No, they're not focused on what God's doing. Instead, it wasn't done the way that they said it should be done. Instead, they're focused on some laws rather than the work that Jesus is doing. Now, Just in case you're not familiar with this, there were plenty of things wrapped up with the Sabbath day. There were plenty of stubborn opinions about what it looked like to honor the Lord on the Sabbath. Now listen, there were four things in particular that were important to the Jews. There was the law, or the first five books of the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. That was the law for them, their their scriptures. There was the temple where they worshiped. There was their traditions that they added to other things that made their uh, particular religion function. And then there was the Sabbath. Now, throughout the Gospels, Jesus proclaims his 
lordship over all of those. He does it when he cleanses the temple. He does it when he says he fulfills the law and the prophets. He does it when he ignores their crazy traditions over and over again. He does it when he heals on the Sabbath. But for those people, there was law after law after law that was written about what you could or could not do on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, if a chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath, you had to throw the egg out because it worked on the Sabbath. That egg can't be any good. If you drug a stick on the ground on the Sabbath, you would be condemned. You want to know why? Because that was plowing. You can't plow on the Sabbath. Did you know that they would cover up mirrors on the Sabbath because a lady might look into it and see a gray hair and she would pluck it out? You know what they would call that? They would call that shearing. You couldn't shear on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, if you had been riding your donkey on Friday and Sabbath has hit and you got off of your donkey, you couldn't unsaddle the donkey because that would be working. But if you left the saddle on the donkey, then the donkey would be working. So either way, one of you was going to die. Okay, maybe not die, but get punished. Man, she said, Danny, of course these things are laughable. Did you know there are 39 categories that were forbidden activities? Now, we really don't have time, but I just want to read them to you because they're funny. You ready? You could not. Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, or marking. Whew. Put that up on your refrigerator for when the Sabbath rolls around, right? Don't breathe or we will be in trouble. And you say, Danny, this is ridiculous. Why would they ever live up to these traditions? Well, friends, you may think that we don't do this, but I'm going to tell you we do. Can I just tell you, we also are stubborn people. We take things that God means for good and we change them to something bad. We take something that God means for good and we use it to our own advantages. We take something as beautiful as the Sabbath that was meant for rest and we take the blessing and we turn it into a burden. You say, Danny, how? Let me give you a few examples. God provides us with food and drink for us to enjoy, yet we overeat and we get drunk. We take something good and we turn it into something bad. God provides us with sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife, yet we sleep around and pervert sexual activity. We take something good and we turn it into something bad. God provides us with entertainment like sports, Yet we've made the entertainment created for our enjoyment into gods that we worship. We take something good. We use it for something bad. God provides us with fulfillment in our work, yet we turn it into greed and materialism. We take something good and we turn it into something bad. God provides us with emotions in order to enjoy different seasons of life, yet we've allowed emotions to control our lives by manipulating our every decision. Friend, we could go on and on and on about the stubbornness that is us. When will we get out of the way and realize that Jesus is wanting to do something so much bigger than you and me? Look at verse 11. The man answered them. By the way, this is the man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, who just wants to worship the Lord at this point in time, right? Life changed forever. This is what he says. He answered them. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? 
Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Now listen, Jesus wasn't there probably because it would stir up so much commotion they'd wanted to kill him on the spot. But can I tell you something? I think Jesus leaves because he doesn't want to be around stubborn people. Friend, how many times has Jesus wanted to move and work, but stubborn people have gotten his way? Hey, can I ask you something a little bit more personal? I had to do this too, by the way. As I told the Lord I was sorry, confess my sin. I had to ask myself, you know what, Lord, how many times have you not worked and moved because this stubborn person got in your way? Listen, Jesus resists those who are stubborn. Let me wrap it up. Let me show you this last thing, because this is good in case you're thinking, man, this is harsh, Danny. I don't want to be a stubborn person. I'm with you. Jesus shows us one more thing, though. It starts in verse 14. He shows us that he restores those who are stuck. Now, in case you're following with us or you're trying to make notes the best you can, let me just show you these truths again. Jesus recognizes those who are sick. He rescues those who are sincere. He resists those who are stubborn. And lastly, he restores those who are stuck. Look at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him. By the way, I want you to sit on that for a minute because I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that Jesus found me. I am so thankful that outside of my salvation, Jesus finds me on a regular basis doing things that I'm not supposed to do. He doesn't abandon me. He doesn't leave me. He does not walk away when I'm stuck. You know what he does? He finds me and he says, Danny, stop it. Confess your sin, repent, and move on in obedience to me. That's what he does with this guy. He finds him in the temple and he said to him, see, you are well. You've been healed. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, what did Jesus mean? There's all kinds of things you can think of. Here's what I think it means for us. Hey, Christian, you've been healed. You may have some moments where you haven't been sincere. You may have some moments where you've been stubborn. You may have some moments where you've been stuck. But friend, Jesus has saved your soul. You've been healed. Sin no more. Move on. Repent. Follow him. What you did yesterday, confess it and move forward today. Why? So that nothing worse may happen. You don't let it fester. You don't let it get worse than it has to be. You don't let it snowball into other things in your life. Confess your sin if you're stuck in here today. I've been there too. Confess it and move on. Jesus found him right where he was and says, let's change what's happening. So look at verse 15. The man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Jesus found him, corrected what was happening, sent him on his way. He goes back to the Jews who had asked him who had healed him, and he tells them that it was Jesus. Now, some suggest that the man went back to the Jews to tell them that it was Jesus that forced him to break the Sabbath laws. Now, this seems like it could be fair. The penalty for breaking the Sabbath laws was death by stoning, by the way, so I could see where he would rather not get stoned. By the way, if that's the only option I have, just know that I am selling you out hard. You are under the bus, buddy, all right? However, the man doesn't say, Jesus who told me to pick up my mat and carry it on the Sabbath, that's the guy. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, Jesus who had healed me. I think his statement seems to point more toward a healing than on breaking the Sabbath laws. To me, it sounds like the man is telling them that nothing was wrong. No laws were broken. No, that man healed me from 38 years of sickness. It reminds me of what Jesus will do later in John chapter 9. 
He heals a blind man on the Sabbath. By the way, there's no coincidence there. He's breaking down those man-made traditions. He's breaking into the stubbornness of who we are, correcting our ways. And when he goes, the religious leaders go to the family to say, hey, who, who did this healing on the Sabbath? It's wrong. They're like, I don't know. Ask our kid. He's old enough to tell you. And the blind man says this, whether Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I can see. At some point in time, even if we're stuck, there has to be a moment where we're sincere about repenting and confessing and moving forward, even though we made a mistake. I heard a quote this week from Bobby Knight. If you didn't know, he passed away this week. He was the legendary Indiana basketball coach who was known by some for his great victories and motivation and by others for the terrible deeds that he did. Now listen, I'm not advocating Bobby Knight in any way, but I love one of the quotes that I read before he passed away. Here's what it was. Your biggest opponent isn't the other guy. Your biggest opponent is human nature. Friend, you don't have to blame anybody on the person next to you. You know what you need to do? You need to look in the mirror and see who's talking back. And you need to say, Jesus, where am I? Where am I in this entire scheme? As a matter of fact, look at these last verses, 16 through 18. Let me read them to you. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. By the way, Jesus doesn't just give this man the opportunity to move on and follow him in obedience. He gives the religious leaders the chance too. He doesn't just walk away. He talks to him. He answers them. He says, my father is working until now and I am working. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the Messiah. Me and God are one. I've come to change everything upside down. You know what he's doing? He's giving them the chance to move beyond their stubbornness and their insincerity. He's giving them the chance to move past their stuckness. He's giving them a chance to follow him, but they don't. Instead, they long even more to kill him. That's what it says, seeking all the more to kill Jesus. Listen, in their minds, Jesus did more than just break the Sabbath. He was a black blasphemer who called himself equal with God, who weren't willing to embrace Jesus for the Savior that he is. Can I remind you of something? Jesus didn't become flesh to establish a new religion. He became one of us in order to restore a broken relationship. So listen, you say, Danny, this is an intense story of healing that's really awesome with all kinds of, what are these pools? What, what do they do? Why do? I know, lots of questions. But at the end of the day, I believe this encounter is here for you and me. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I believe there are a lot of people in our world who are still sick in need of healing, who still sit by some pool that they think is going to take everything away, that they think is their salvation, that they think is going to heal what only Jesus can heal. And he's showing people today, hey, listen, what you need is me. And if you're sincere, if you want healing, I will rescue you. So listen, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Can I tell you something? There is hope in his name and you. Yes, it doesn't matter how many years you've been looking for healing, even you can meet Jesus today and he will change everything. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be in that lobby in a few moments. If that's you, I'd love to take my Bible, tell you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus and let's move forward. But let me... There's also a group of us in here who are just like me. That's right. If there's anybody who needed to hear this message today, it was Danny Boudreaux. You want to know why? Because there have been so many times that sincerity has been the farthest thing from my mind. Stubbornness, as often as it can happen. Stuck, yeah, been there plenty. You know what I've learned? 
Jesus doesn't want no part of our stubbornness. He doesn't want no part of Christians who are stuck in some ways that have nothing to do with him. You know what happens? We hinder the very one who's healed us. Friend, if you're like me today, I beg you to spend some time with Jesus. Oh, I'm so thankful he found me where I was. I'm so thankful that over and over again throughout my years, not only has he saved me, but he has continued to sanctify me by correcting me over and over and over. I'm so thankful he doesn't leave me where I am. He wants me to be more like him. Thank you, Jesus. But as I was reading these verses, you know what I discovered? <laughs> it's another moment in my life where Jesus needed to step in and I, through conviction, needed to say, I'm sorry. I have too often seen things my way. I have too often put standards on people that are not yours. I have too often thought about Danny over anything else. Well, you know where we find Jesus? With the broken. You know what we find him doing? Healing them. You know where we don't find him? With those stubborn, stuck people. You know what I don't want to be? I don't want to be a person without Jesus moving in my life. Hey, friend, if that's you, you find yourself connecting with that moment. Can I just tell you, it's okay. Jesus restores those who are stuck. If that's you, he's opening your eyes to a better way, what he wants us to focus on most. Don't get caught up in all the stars and the galaxies and the temperature and the pretty, Fred, the tent is gone. Focus on what matters most. Jesus wants to save the world, and thank God he's chosen us to do it. Will we focus on what Jesus focuses on? Compassion over correction, blessing over burden. Will we seek to live like Jesus? Don't be the insincere. Don't be the stubborn, the stuck. No, friend. Don't get lost in your own standards and miss what the Savior wants to do. Let's follow him. Right now, we have the opportunity to respond to that call. Let's pray for us. Father, we love you. Jesus, you're awesome.